Grace Fellowship, we are so glad that you're here as we enter into this second uh, episode of our series, Counter Culture, where we are learning how to be salt and light uh, in the culture in which we find ourselves, in the time in which we live. Uh, we're learning what it means to be followers of Jesus, influencing and impacting uh, our world uh, and engaging with the issues uh, of our time. And this, so this morning, we are going to take, uh, we're going to talk about an issue of our time that has been an issue of our time uh, for hundreds of years. This morning, I want to talk to you about race. Now, before you tune me out, I know a lot of us don't want to talk about this. Uh, we don't know how to talk about this. Uh, we feel like we're on overload uh, in talking about this. And we've been talking about this for hundreds of years, uh, and we don't know how more, uh, what more we can say about this issue. This morning, I want to approach this issue a little differently than what you get uh, from the media. Uh, I realize we're not going to solve a 400-year-old problem in a 20-minute message. I totally understand that. However, as Jesus followers, we are compelled uh, to, to engage and enter uh, into our culture uh, with issues that are facing our culture and present to our culture a biblical worldview, a, a, a Christian way to think about these things and a Christian way uh, to respond uh, to these issues. So let me, um, let me share this verse before we get started. Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. What you don't know can't hurt you. You've heard that phrase before, but there's a lot of things that we don't know that can be very damaging to us uh, if we don't get the right information about that. Uh, so here's the deal. Here's the first thing I want to say. A lot of us don't know. A lot of us don't know. Uh, and uh, what's worse, we don't know uh, that we don't know. Question. Have you ever made a comment uh, that was well-intended but ill-informed? Uh, in other words, have you ever had to delete a social media post after you got schooled uh, by the facts? Uh, you know, a lot of times we just we think we know, we assume we know, uh, and we just move forward in that. And so a lot of times we just don't know. So this is the first thing I want to say about this issue. A lot of us don't know what the Bible says about race. What should be our thinking? What should be our perspective when it comes to the issue of race? Now, uh, for instance, did you know uh, that throughout history, uh, particularly in our culture, uh, that people have used the Bible to support racist ideas? Well, of course you knew that. I mean, that's part of our problem for the last 400 years, right? Uh, we think we know what the Bible says about race, and yet many times we don't actually know what God says about race, what the Bible teaches about race. Here's the second thing I want, to, I want you to think about. Uh, I have been in different parts of the country uh, where people have asked me where I was from because of my accent. They noticed my accent, which I always find amusing uh, because I, I don't have an accent. I've, I've never had an accent. Uh, which, again, is part of the problem, right? I mean, uh, the, the challenge for me to step out of my own egocentric world and actually realize that there are things about me that make me distinct. And then uh, so to see things from the perspective of another human being that doesn't share my experience, that's very hard for us uh, to think about. For example, uh, did you know that the, the ethnic makeup of America is 60% white, 
uh, 18% Hispanic and 13% African-American. 60%, 18%, and then 13%. But I live in a county that's 96% white and less than 1% African-American. Now, uh, there's nothing wrong with that, but here's, here's my reality. I have to intentionally travel outside of my own geographical region uh, to expose myself to ethnic diversity. Um, it is what it is. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. However, it does limit uh, the opportunity and my ability to understand the experiences of those who don't look like me. Because here, here's what happens, friends. A lot of us excuse ourselves by saying, well, I'm not racist. I don't have those kind of racist ideas or attitudes. Uh, that was 200 years ago, and so that doesn't apply. To, I'm not responsible for that, as if for whatever reason we say these things uh, to, to say that they don't apply to us. When the Bible is very clear, Jesus made it very clear that to love your neighbor as yourself is to love the widow and the orphan and the stranger and the oppressed and the disadvantaged, to work for justice and to be an advocate for the defenseless, regardless of who they are and where they're from. And so we don't always know what the Bible actually says about this issue. We don't have the experience of others, and so we don't understand the perspective of others. And so we don't always know. And then uh, finally, and I'll... uh, this is going to sound a little soapboxy, and so just bear with me. But I, I believe this is true. I'm led to say this. I hope I'm wrong. But if I, uh, here's the deal. Too, too many Jesus followers are being discipled by their social media feeds and their cable news pundits that they listen to rather than the word of God. And that's why we're in this series, is to guard against the cultural influence Because we are called to influence, not to be influenced, to guard against the messages that we receive and disseminate the message of God. Friends, if we are going to be agents of healing in our culture, we have to understand God's heart for our culture. Government isn't going to solve this problem. Uh, Social programs and politicians aren't going to solve this problem. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to transform hearts and minds that will bring about true uh, human reconciliation and peace. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. And so that's why we're talking about this today. We, we We need to know. So let's start at the beginning. What does the Bible, what does the Bible say about race? Well, that's just the thing. The Bible doesn't say anything about race. The Bible never uses the term race. Race is not a biblical term. The Bible talks about ethnicities. It talks about tongues and tribes and nations. But it never uses the word race to refer to any human being. In fact, that that word is somewhat uh, uh, recent. In In 1859... 1859, Charles Darwin published a book entitled On the Origin of Species. On the Origin of Species. Now, I want to focus on the subtitle of his book, which says, The Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. Now, friends, this is what we need to know. Charles Darwin is considered the father of modern racism 
because of this argument that in the evolutionary process, the white race evolved from the black race, which of course made that race superior. It's just science, right? It's all about science. So let's talk about science. In 1990, the Human Genome Project began a 13-year project mapping the genetic code of all human beings, which has led to various reports and publications, such as National Geographic in 2018, of April 2018, published an article entitled, There's No Scientific Basis for Race. This article asserted the idea that race as a unique characteristic of a human being's identity is fundamentally flawed. Uh, Craig Venter says the concept of race has no genetic or scientific basis. Did you know that? Science is proving that. A lot of people think that science will eat. Here's the thing. A lot of people think that science will eventually one day make the Bible obsolete. And yet, time after time, the more science discovers, the more science affirms what the Bible has always said. Friends, there's only one human race. We are 99.9% the same genetically. Only slight variations in our DNA, which uh, most obvious in our distinctions is skin color. Uh, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his, except biologically, scientifically, biblically, uh, there's only one skin color, only one, and it's called melanin, melanin. Melanin is the brownish pigments in your skin that give it color. The more melanin Uh, The darker the skin, the less melanin, the lighter the skin. There are only two types of melanin that create all kinds of variations of skin color. But the bottom line is we're all brown. All of us are brown. We're just different shades of brown. And when you think about it, it's really not that all that surprising. We have a God that gave us 7,500 variations of apples. Did you know that? Did you know that there's... 350,000 variations of beetles. Can you imagine how boring our world would be if every crayon in the box was beige? (laughs) Paul said this in Acts 17, from one man he made all, not the races, he made all the nations. The Bible doesn't use the word race because God didn't create race. He created homo sapiens. He created a species, and he created human beings, the first named Adam and Eve, who was more than likely, we're not sure, but more than likely the perfect amount, the perfect balance of melanin, the perfect shade of brown, uh, which, and I'll throw this in, this is extra credit, but how many people do you know that are unhappy with their skin color? (laughs) Ever heard of a tanning bed? (laughs) Uh, Dark-skinned people want to be lighter. Light-skinned people want to be darker. We're we're never satisfied. Just throw that in for free. (laughs) Anyway, uh, out of that one common ancestry, out of Adam and Eve, that 1%, that less than 1% variation in 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 our skin color started to show up. Now, a couple of thousand years later, we come to the time of Noah, 
Okay, and uh, we know how God started over with Noah and his family uh, through the flood. But friends, skin variation had already taken root. Uh, And we know this, by the way, Noah named his sons. In Genesis chapter 9, it said, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. So out of Noah's family, we have all of the peoples of the earth. Verse 18, it says, the, son of Noah, the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then it says, Ham was the father of Canaan. Ham was the father of Canaan. Now remember that, because that's going to be important in just a second. In ancient cultures, names meant something. You named your child because there was a meaning attached to that name. Now the name Ham means dark or black by which we can assume that Ham was a very dark-skinned human being. And the name Japheth uh, meant fair or light-skinned, which we can assume Japheth was a light-skinned human being. It indicates that these human beings produced different levels of melanin that gave their bodies a certain shade of brown. Now, Shem, by the way, uh, that name means name, actually, which, which is really odd. I, why is his name name? I'm, you know, I'm going to call you name. Uh, theologians believe that Shem was named name because Shem uh, is the one from which Abraham came, from which the Messiah came, which was given the name above every name. But here's the point, friends. 2,000 years into human history, you have shades of brown becoming apparent. And these shades of brown... Uh, God took Noah's family and spread them all over the earth. And three chapters later, we come to the Tower of Babel. Uh, Those of you who are familiar with the Tower of Babel, uh, mankind sought to separate themselves from God and to make a name for themselves. That's what the Bible says, to make a name for themselves. And God confused their language. And because of that, he spread them out all over the planet. And so for thousands of years, These various people groups grouped together generation after generation after generation. And scientists will tell you, this is science, friends. You keep a people group isolated long enough. You narrow the gene pool in that people group for an extended period of time. And certain biological characteristics will start to become dominant in that particular people group. Why do we see distinctions among various ethnicities and people groups? Well, we, we can find the answer in Genesis uh, 11 with the Tower of Babel. And Paul, again, reiterates it in Acts 17, verse 26. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. And that's why, friends, thousands of years later, you have Africans, and Europeans, and Asians, and Indians. Friends, they are, these are not races. They are variations of the same race. I want to go back to Ham for just a second. And remember, the Bible makes a point to tell us that he was the father of Canaan. He was the father of Canaan. Now, maybe you know this. Maybe you heard this. But years ago, when people were using the Bible uh, to support racist ideas, uh, People, what they, people used what they called uh, the curse of Ham in the Old Testament to prove that black people were inferior to white people, which is diabot- diabolically false. Uh, it is so unfortunate that people use the Bible to make a very divisive and unbiblical 
argument, but going back to Hosea 4, people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. When we misunderstand or misuse the Bible, and we don't have time to get into the curse. I mean, you can read that in Genesis chapter 9 for yourself. But the deal is that God pronounced a curse on Canaan because of something that, that happened. God pronounced a curse on Canaan, not on Ham, but on his son Canaan. Uh, and so uh, the curse was not on him. That's the first thing. And the curse was not skin color. That's the second thing. Uh, it, is, it is agreed among all scholars that dark-skinned ham settled in Africa. And because of that gene pool, because of that people group grouping together, we have all the darker-skinned people uh, of the earth. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us what skin tone Canaan was, but it does tell us that Canaan did not settle in Africa. He actually settled in the Middle East. And generations later became a source of contention to the offspring of Japheth, which was the Israelites. Maybe you didn't know that. You know it now. But the question is, why do you need to know this at all? Why are we talking about this? Because people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. Friends, God didn't create division. He created diversity. He created diversity. And just as he celebrates all of his creation, he celebrates the diversity in the, in the men and women that he created. And so it is not helpful, it is certainly not characteristic of Jesus' followers to have an attitude or a worldview or perspective that does not celebrate the diversity of God's creation and honor and value and love and serve people who do not look like you we are called as Jesus followers to speak up and to defend and to work for justice for anyone, regardless of what they look like, uh, who might be victims of disrespect or di discrimination as Jesus followers. I mean, did you know, maybe, maybe, maybe you didn't know this. Did you know that the man enlisted to carry the cross of Jesus uh, was an African, was a dark-skinned human being, Simon of Cyrene, he was a North African. Uh, did you know that Africans uh, were present on the day of Pentecost where 3,000 were saved? And a part of that 3,000 went back to their own tongues and tribes in Africa uh, with the gospel of Jesus. Did you know that in Acts chapter 13, two of the prophets and teachers who commissioned Paul and Barnabas on their very first missionary journey were black or at least dark-skinned? Lucius of Cyrene, uh, he was a North African, and Simon called Niger. Simon called Niger. We, we currently have two countries in Africa, uh, one called Niger or Niger and Nigeria. Niger means black. And if you think about the term or the, or the name Niger, it's where we get that horrible racist slur that people have used throughout the generations. From one man, he made all the nations. Here's a point, friends. Um, Skin tone matters because God created skin tone. Uh, you've heard people say, uh, we need to be colorblind, or maybe you, you said, I'm, I'm colorblind, I don't see color. Some people claim to be colorblind. But friends, think about this. If God wanted us colorblind, uh, one, he would have created all of us the same color, or two, uh, he would have blinded us, <laughs> okay? Uh, Galatians chapter 3 says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor freed, nor male nor female, for we are all one in Christ. Now, what does that mean? Because here's the, here's the deal. You look at that verse, 
I'm a white guy. I don't know if you knew that, but um, I'm a white guy. And after I gave my life to Christ uh, 50 years ago, um, I was a white guy then. I'm still a white guy. So what, what is Paul saying to us in this verse? Here's what he's saying, friends. God did not create division. He created diversity. Back in Genesis, he looked at all that he created and declared it good. But when sin entered the world, all of that diversity took on a different tone. The world fell into chaos and conflict. Things started to fall apart. And so from that point on, God put into action a plan to reunite and restore his creation under the banner of the gospel of Jesus. And the climax of that story is found in the book of Revelation. And in chapter 7, verse 9, it says, After this I looked, John is saying, And there before me was a great multitude that no one can count from every, not race, you won't find that word in this verse, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. What's so interesting about this verse to me John is describing what's going to, what it's going to look like in heaven. And friends, it is a picture of diversity. God has preserved our ethnic distinctions in heaven, uh, which leads me to believe that whatever skin tone you possess on earth, you will display in heaven. Because here's the deal, friends. If racial, racial diversity was a problem to be solved, don't you think God would have solved it in heaven? Why wouldn't he have just made us all look the same? Why wouldn't we just all be beige? <laughs> Friends, God doesn't want us to be colorblind. He, want us to, he wants us to revel. He wants us to celebrate. He wants us to accentuate the, the way God made all of us and how he has brought all of us together as one in Christ. But until then... He has called us to, to work to make what is going to happen in heaven a reality on earth as best as we can. Work to make that so. Be salt and light in our culture. Counter the attitudes and the actions of those who seek to divide and destroy. So I want to be practical here before we close. I, I just want to mention a couple of things that maybe we can think about or maybe apply to our own lives uh, when it comes to this divisive and destructive issue of race in our culture, and as, particularly in this time or as we're, we're dealing with all kinds of racial tension. Um, and how do we interact? How do we engage with our culture? Let me suggest a couple of things. Number one, pray before you post. Pray before you post. Now, you, sh you should pray before you do anything. Uh, but, you know, uh, maybe, maybe you've heard people say, you know, it's, it's not enough to be not racist. You have to be anti-racist. And we're not quite sure what they mean by that or what that looks like for each of us. But the Bible is clear, friends. We are called to be salt and light, which means we are called to engage the culture. Uh, so here's the thing. I mean... You know, we don't have to respond to everything, and we don't have to respond to everything immediately, and you don't have to say the first thing that comes out of your mouth. A lot of times, uh, we pay the price for that. But we are called to pray, to pray for our leaders, uh, to pray for our country, to pray for our neighbors, uh, to pray for those who do not look like us, to pray for our own witness, to pray for our unity, to pray for wisdom and discernment, to, to be bold and yet compassionate, to be discerning but gracious, to pray for the willingness to understand before we seek to be understood. 
Allow God to mold your spirit and shape your words through prayer. Pray. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. I would suggest that you read before you rant. That you read before you rant. Again, I'll just go back to this soapbox idea. I think a lot of us, sadly, unfortunately, it's too easy for us to just watch the TV, to listen to the radio, or to choose our particular podcast and not expose ourselves to what, what God is actually teaching us about this issue. I've, I've certainly, I have done a lot of reading over the past several years, uh, trying to get a biblical handle uh, on this issue of race and how the church, how myself as a Jesus follower should understand this issue and engage this issue in our culture. Uh, there are several books that have influenced my thinking. One Blood uh, by John Perkins, uh, Bloodlines by John Piper, Third Option by Miles McPherson. Uh, there are many good Christian, biblically-based books that deal with this issue of race. And I would just encourage you, if you haven't educated yourself on the issue, I'm not so sure that I would engage with the issue. Uh, if you haven't sought God's teaching on the issue, I would wait to speak about the issue, to read before you rant. But here's the third suggestion, friends. Never stop paying off the debt of love. Never stop paying off the debt of love. In fact, the Bible, Romans 13, says that we'll never stop owing the debt of love. Never stop looking for ways to be kind and considerate and thoughtful and helpful. Uh, Many of you who are listening to me are in my same situation, that you have to literally travel outside of your geographical zone uh, to expose yourself to various ethnic groups. And so what do you do with that? Well, I, very practically, just look people in the eye. Smile at people who don't look like you. Open the door for people. Be, uh, uh, assist people uh, who need help uh, when you're passing them in, this, in the grocery store aisle. or in, in, you know, in, I live in a predominantly white community, uh, and I lead a predominantly white church. But just because our membership is somewhat monolithic doesn't mean that our ministry or mission should be. In other words, we don't have to be known for our ethnic diversity. We just have to be known for our love. And so whatever opportunities God gives you to love, people who are like you and people who are not like you, people who look like you, people who do not like, look like you, may we as Jesus followers rise up to the calling and fulfill our mandate, the mandate of Jesus, to love our fellow man. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we want to revel, we want to celebrate your creation. You have called it good. And we want to treat it with goodness. We want to be good as we engage the culture, particularly in this issue that is so tense and volatile. We pray, Father, that we would present a different perspective, a different attitude, a different method in how to bring about unity, how to resolve the differences between us, and more than anything, how to love one another. Speak to us through your word. Mold us by your spirit and help us to look more like you so that we can love those who don't look like us. To that end, we pray, Father, in Jesus' name.